While the experiences of displacement and disorientation play such a significant role in conversations about cultural place, about institutional belonging, and even about interpersonal relationship, I am moved and inspired not only by the stories of those who endure and triumph over that sense of displacement or dislocation, but in fact sometimes even choose displacement and the adventure of relocation in order to awaken some kind of new spirit in them and in the world around them. My guest, Natalie Toon Patton, is one such person who's been removed, who's been displaced, has been in fact cast out from certain cultures, and then has chosen the adventure of relocation in order to readjust, replace, reroute, and reorient herself to a world in which she longs to belong and create belonging or a sense of belonging for others. I enjoyed our conversation and I think you will too. Check it out. Tell me about you get, let's start here. You're in Botswana. You're not from Botswana. We, that's that's right. relatively obvious, but you, why are you there? Like, so, so what does Botswana being home mean for you? You are, you've been there for how long? You said two years? No, two months. Two months? About you've been there for two months. months. Yeah, we just, we just moved here. Mm-hmm. Why Botswana? Tell me about like getting there. Like, how, how does that happen? So I, I'm actually here because of my husband's job. He he works at the U.S. Embassy in Botswana. Okay. So this is I'm I'm the trailing spouse here and um, just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> uh, so this is a this is a new a new region for us, and um, we're still figuring things out and just kind of being beginners on the African continent. Yeah. Um, we haven't spent a lot of time here. We've traveled a little bit, but living here, this is a, this is a new experience for our family. It works a little bit with the themes that you, um, you write about, you talk about with regards to like starting over and newness and new places. Talk about where are you from, mm-hmm. from like, where's, where's, where's the like original, ground for you where is like where were you born where are you from yeah so i am from arkansas central arkansas um that uh will always be home i still have most of my family there i was born and raised in a little town called benton in saline county and went to high school in little rock and then didn't run away from home until i was in my late 20s so um yeah, so spent most of my life um, just in a small, pretty conservative community and right. didn't know much about, uh, always wanted to travel, always had that itch, you know, that yes. just that thing in your DNA that, you know, we want to go somewhere else. You want to experience life abroad. You want to find pieces of yourself in other places. Um, it was always there, but I didn't really uh, experience that until later. And like you said, that that still feels like home. Are there other places mm-hmm. in the world that still feel like home for you? Like once you left, because you, you part of, I mean, yeah. part of your story is you no longer felt uh, safe or like seen mm-hmm. or cared for in the same way. Right. And that's at home. Right. Mm-hmm. So if that's home and that became uncomfortable for you, tell me about your experience of home. Were there other places you found home that felt safe? Like what did that look like? Yeah, so so Arkansas will always geographically, I think, be home. Um, but I've I've learned 
over the last decade, really, that home is the idea of home is, is so much more expansive. You can find a piece of yourself anywhere, really. I mean, home, home is wherever, wherever you are, wherever your family is, wherever, or not even your family, you can find, um, parts of yourself that you didn't know existed in places that are so far removed from your own culture. I think that's, to me, that's one of the most fascinating things about foreign travel is that there's this nostalgia that you feel Hmm. sometimes that doesn't make any sense that sort of like you, you feel like you're at home or like you've been in a place before. Um, it just kind of comes yeah. and it just kind of finds you sometimes, you know, you, you know, when you know, if you've you ever do. had that experience traveling and I've, I've found that in the far East, I've found that in the Middle East, I've found that in parts of Europe and I'm, I'm learning to find it in Africa. And I, it's, it's funny cause I, I just wrote a book about this and now I feel like I'm starting all over again and I am having to, uh, it's hard, you know, hmm. it's, it's hard to, um, sort of find a piece of your own resurrection in another, another place, another country. Yeah. Do you remember those early experiences of, of distant places? And uh, did you feel like you were onto something in terms of uh, like that kind of awakening, that kind of connectedness, or was it just, was it just happening? Did, did you recognize it in the moment? Was it in retrospect? Like, how did you, how did you come to a place in which you saw that as a sense of belonging or a sense of awakening? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people make a pilgrimage, you know, a, a religious pilgrimage, or they go to a particular site. You know, I spent a lot of time in, in the Middle East, so I, you know, I went to all of the the holy sites and and Israel and Jordan, and I didn't really connect with some of those places. I think the expectation was so high. That's why sometimes pilgrimages disappoint because you. Mm you want to be on that high and you want to feel close to God and you have this idea of how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I've learned is that there's this, you know, the thin places just kind of find you. Oh, that's interesting. Rather than, rather than you searching for them, they just kind of, kind of come. Um, and sometimes when you're least expected, and this is why, I think it's it's <laughs> valuable to like throw away the guidebook and just kind of get lost sometimes. Yeah. And just kind of wander and um follow your your into intuition and go off the beaten path, you know, the places that aren't the typical like tourist loop. Um Yeah. So I, I, I think I think for me my some of my biggest moments have been um the places that have been so least expected talk about one of those thin places yeah Mm -hmm. talk about one of those moments in which like a thin place found you um it can this can be an account from the book um specifically but like what what like how did that feel what did that look like give me an example of one yeah i think a good example would be um we did this wild road trip to damascus syria this was before before the arab spring so it's like 2009 um, we hired a, I say we, this was a couple of my, of my colleagues, my work colleagues at the time. 
and we hired a professional briber who got us across the border from Jordan and, you know, couldn't believe that we made it and had, had the best time really. Um, but the last day we, our driver wanted to take us to the Umayyad mosque. Um, and I, at that point I was just kind of had mosque fatigue, you know, I'd seen a lot of mosques. I was just like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't really feel like going to this place. And we went and there's all these, you know, people praying. You have, you have your Christian pilgrims and your Muslim pilgrims. And at first I was confused. Like, what is this, what is this place? You know, why is it such, why does it have such importance? Um, and come to find out it was, you know, this ancient place of worship, it used to be like the temple of Baal in ancient times, and then it was the temple of Jupiter under the Romans, and then it was the, um, it was, I think, a Jewish synagogue at one point, and then it was a Christian church, and, you know, now it's a mosque. And at one point in time, for 70 years, Christians, Muslims, and Jews, Jews used the exact same place for worship. They shared the space which I think is unbelievable that they did that for 70 years. And then there's this one part of the, of the temple there that had um, the head, it was apparently it was the head of John the Baptist where people are circling around praying who is, is, has importance in, in the Muslim faith as well as um, the prophet Yahya. Um, and I just had this moment, you know, lying on the cold tile floor watching the birds overhead, you know, there's children running around, there's little boys smoking. Um, there's, you know, all of these people sharing this space. And I just felt such a heavy feeling of mercy for hmm. all of the people there that day, the people of different faiths, all of the people that had stood in that exact place, crying out to the divine, praying in the best way that they knew how with our imperfect theology and our heart wide open, I just felt this really intense feeling of mercy. And it was a thin moment and I, and I wasn't expecting it, you know, in a place like Damascus, Syria. Um, hmm. I had at that, that point I had been to, um, I'd been to Jerusalem and the Jordan river and the top of Mount Nebo. And I had, you know, tried to have that mountaintop experience, and it, I didn't, I didn't feel that intense mercy like I did there that wow. day in the mosque. That's a really interesting word choice. I mean, you're using the word mercy, like it's mm -hmm. not, it's a, there's a kind of, um, and again, maybe a bit of a parallel there, right? Because part of what sent uh, you into your into this that part of your journey was a sense of mercilessness that you mm -hmm. you didn't experience that kind of mercy that folks around you experienced in your life something they found foreign or mm -hmm. uncomfortable and mm -hmm. you experienced a kind of non mercy a mercilessness so it's mm -hmm. it, 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 it's interesting to hear you use the word mercy as opposed to just like I had a, there was a camaraderie or there was just kind of an energy. Mercy is really directional. It's very, um, like yeah, there's like a personal letting go or a breakdown for you. It's right, not just like right. a vibe. Like you you were having a personal like relational, uh, yeah, you were having kind of a different relational experience with people in mm -hmm. in that space, which. Right. I mean, does it, is that, I mean, does it, is it resonant with 
like the initial part of that phase of your life and the, and, and the sort of way you were not treated with mercy? Right. I guess I should describe that, like the night before we had been out in Damascus and we ended up in this nightclub named Zodiac. And once the wait staff like found out we were Americans, they started bringing us all these platters of food and drinks, you know, and it was all on the house. It was just hmm. this like radical act of hospitality because they said they hadn't seen any Americans there in a really long time. And they were just, I don't, I mean, for whatever reason, they were hospitable to us. They didn't want anything in return. And it made such an impression on me to have that type of care hmm. and hospitality from our so-called enemies. You know, yeah. this is coming from, this is coming from, you know, I had, was fresh from my culture where I was kicked out of my church for getting a divorce. And here I am with, with people who a lot of people from back home would see with such skepticism and, you know, consider them to be, um, you know, as we say in Arkansas, hell bent and unsaved and, yeah. and living in darkness. And, and it was just so incredibly subversive for me to receive love and hospitality without expecting anything in return. It just felt, it felt so Christ-like. And yeah. of course that's, that's confusing, right? When you, <laughs> when you think that, um, when you imagine that you have all the answers and you have the truth and everybody else is walking in darkness, um, you know, that can really, yes. that can re- <laughs> really shake your faith up, right? Yes. Um, talk about that initial experience, the the divorce at home, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the way like the things you might have expected, the way it went down. Like what? How did that actually go for you? That that it continues to have this kind of resonance for you? Yeah. Well, I I was faithful to the church, you know, my entire life. Um, and I just I did not see I didn't see this coming. I was young. Um, I hadn't at this particular church. I had only been going to for about four years, but but still, you know, you have your mm-hmm. you have your church, what you consider to be your church home, and what you consider to be your your people, and then to to receive the the stamp of you're not welcome here anymore. <laughs> that um, that did a number on me. I think. Mm. Um, and really, I think this is why it took so long to write the book. I struggled for years. I thought I was writing a, a novel about Marco Polo. <laughs> I was doing all this research. I was just like intrigued by this person in Marco Polo. And then one day it hit me that it was, you know, it's my own story that's trying to be born. Um, because that, I carried so much shame for so long, you know, even after getting happily remarried and having kids and, you know, having life, there was still a lot of of healing to do. I think in a lot of ways, like getting excommunicated from church was more difficult than the actual divorce. Hmm. And why, why that? Like, and I, like, cause I, I hear that, but that's like, mm-hmm. why was it more difficult to be, um, to be excommunicated from the church? Did you say like getting the divorce was hard, but being excommunicated mm-hmm. was harder? Yeah. I think because at that time I thought, 
I just imagined that I, you know, I want to be part of the family of God. Like that's everything I, I wanted. And that was, that was my idea of what the kingdom of God meant. It's the hmm. people in the church and I want to be a part of something. Uh, I wanted that sense of belonging. I think it, it, to me, it was part of what I thought my identity was. And so to, to, you know, to have that like stamp of shame put on me that, um, you know, that, that was the unraveling, I think that really made it, made the recovery harder Hmm. because it, it said something about my identity is that I, you know, I was no longer, um, in the family of God, in the kingdom Mm -hmm. of God. That's, that's how I saw it at the time. And of course I don't see it that way now, but Mm -hmm. you know, my early twenties, like that's how I, that's how I saw my identity. And you, um, expanding, I guess, in your own vision, like you, you were, you were sort of in a position in which like folks, um, you were made to feel, or you felt like you did not belong to the family of God, which is a really big mm-hmm. phrase. Like the family of God, this is like mm-hmm. you know, the one who holds all things together, all this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here you are in other places in the world in which, um, these are people who you're in Damascus and these are pe- people, people who you were trained to, to believe were not in the same family, that they're enemies. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. have, you have these experiences of like, wait, we're connected. I'm ha- there's this merciful connection. There's this like relational connection. There's hospitality. W- what does it mean for you now to belong to the family of God? What, how is that phrase different for you? How is the experience of that different for you? Can you talk about that from where you mm-hmm. are now? Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, I've I've kind of come to see the family of God or the household of God or ho- however you want to phrase it. I think it it it's inclusive of anyone that is seeking the divine in the best way that we know how. Hmm. And I know I know that sounds like <laughs> absolute heresy for a lot of people. Um, who want to kind of keep it as, you know, particular group of people that have said the magic prayer and, you know, go to this, do a certain type of church. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I've just, I've seen, I've seen the Holy spirit work in such crazy ways Mm. with people. And I've, I've come to see how the roots of our trees kind of have, you know, we're, we have these roots that kind of like tickle each other um, around the world. Like we we have our 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 paths and our our faiths intersect, and they complement each other more than they compete. Mm. And so I still identify as as Christian, but the family of God, I think, I really think it's all of creation. That's kind of how I've come to see the body of Christ is all of creation and, and the divine coursing through all of it. Hmm. Uh, a couple quick questions about like y- your journey from here. You've put a, you've put a book in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you excited about that? You're thrilled. You're terrified. What's it feel like yeah. to say, "Hey, here's here's a because that's like a moment." You I, you said it a second ago. It's like I just wrote a book about this, and and now I'm also moving on. Like 
there's this terror sometimes, or there's a risk, I should yes. say, that we take one, like, <laughs> we mark a moment in time and say, uh-huh. here are things that I think are true, true enough to put them in a book. It's like building an altar in the world and saying, right, this is, right. this is a place, you know, this is, this is where I see, this is how I see truth, good, goodness, beauty. Talk about like your pathway forward. Cause now you're an author and you've, you have entered into a conversation, uh, directly and uh, intentionally about how people see God, how people see other people. Um, what's the future look like for you as an author and as, and as part of that conversation? Wow. <laughs> Good question. Um, well, I haven't actually held my own book, so it doesn't even feel real that it's out there. Um, I keep getting pictures of friends that have their book in hand. Um, because you're in Botswana. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> There's this little supply, supply chain problem happening in the world right now. Yes, there is. So I haven't actually held my own book. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds as a writer. I mean, I, I, I hope to write more. Um, and I hope to have more opportunities to explore the intersection of travel and, and spirituality. Um and of course, you know, there's, there's parts of the book that I, I, I already see how I've, I've grown a little bit. I guess, you know, this is just how it works. You, you write a book, it's a moment in time. It's, it's the, the feelings that you have right then. It's the, you know, spirit moving through you at that moment. Um, but it, it is constantly, it shifts and it grows and it flows and, um, I don't know. I'd be I'd be lucky to to be able to write some more about. Um, I'm fascinated with with mystic traditions around the world. That's another yeah. interest I have, and in how the mystic traditions kind of all intersect with each other and have a lot a lot of similarities. Um, do you have guides? Like, the, are there folks that you're looking at uh, who are in the world similarly to you that you think, if you know. It, Folks from who you, either you borrow wisdom or like uh, or creative patterns or social patterns or professional patterns are are there folks in the world that you look to and think I'd like to learn from this person I or I do learn from this person she's doing it really well like who who would you consider guides right now uh, religiously professionally personally hmm I think one of my biggest uh, influences would be John Philip Newell. J.P. Newell is, um, I'm a huge fan of his work, and he just came out with a new book this year, actually. Um, I think that it is, it is so poignant to what's, just what's happening with hmm. earth care and climate change and um, going back to our, to, to the roots of Celtic spirituality, which I think is, is really the, the future of the church and the direction of the direction that we need to be going in, um, you know, sort of like not divorcing the, the, um, the material world with the spiritual world and mm. seeing how they are, they're married to one another. I think he, he's probably one of my biggest influences that <laughs> I quote a lot in the book. Um, so I think, uh, I think his idea of what the church can be and, sort of this, re- this rebirth of, 
what God is already doing, I think. And, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's happening already, I guess is, is the way I should phrase it. I don't think, I don't think there's, we can, we can try to like hustle it and strong arm it in a, in a certain direction. It just, it, it is happening already. That's good. I think there is a, a reawakening of seeing the divine presence in all things and not having that separation from our body, from the earth, from each other, seeing how we're all connected. Um, now, you know, now that we have the internet, that's been a huge leap forward and just, and, you know, seeing that we're all one big family and, um, you know, the earth is really small. Um, I, I hope that that's, that's the future of, of spirituality and that's the future of the church is to have more interconnectivity and um, more, more, more bridges with each other. It's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for spending some time this morning. Thank you so much, Justin, for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for this episode of the At Sea Podcast. If you would like to follow up with Natalie Toon Patton, her book Wander Lost is available now, pretty much anywhere books are sold, including Amazon.com. And if you search her name, Natalie Toon Patton, you can find her on Instagram and Twitter predominantly. If, on the other hand, you'd like to be one of the folks who makes this podcast happen week after week, we'd love to have you on the team. Navigate yourself to patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts and join us. Until next time.